The International Fly Fishing Film Tour Festival will be in Birmingham, Alabama at the Cahaba Brewing Company on March 18th. The doors will open at 12 p.m. and the films will start showing around 3.30 p.m. The film tour is hosted by Deep South Outfitters and the Cahaba River Keeper. Tickets can be purchased at Deep South Outfitters and online at the Fly Fishing Film Tour website. If available, you will be able to purchase them at the door on the day of the event. Several of our guests uh, from this current season and some past seasons, like Mary Beth Meeks and Matt Lewis, will be um, will be featured here at this event. They have a film that's really incredible. But we also we will have a booth, so we would love for you to come by and see us on March 18th at the Cahaba Brewing Company. This is the Storied Outdoors, a podcast somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark, finding clarity in the stories we tell and the adventures that shape us. Welcome to the Storied Outdoors. I'm Brian Gill, along with my buddy and co-host, and the faint sound of a leaf blower in the background, <laughs> uh, Brad Hill. Oh, uh, today we have a special guest that is known by many of our listeners as Dr. Red Eye, uh, Matt Lewis. Matt is a scientist who works in the field of genetics. He is the leading voice and expert on the Alabama native species of red eye bass. Uh, Dr. Lewis literally wrote the book on fly fishing for red eye bass. I've known Matt for about five years, uh, ever since he and Jonathan Kelly founded the Red Eye Bass Slam uh, here in Alabama, which has uh, gotten a lot of traction lately. So uh, we're, we're going to get into more about that in a minute, but welcome to the storied outdoors, Matt. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. So glad to have you. Um, Matt, first of all, where do we, we didn't talk about it earlier. Where do you work? What do you do now? So right now I'm a, um, a postdoctoral fellow at Auburn University. So I'm, I'm basically finishing up some stuff that I didn't have time to get to uh, during my dissertation nice. that needs to get out. Um, and while I'm doing that, I'm also kind of trying to figure out where I want to, you know, end up like, you know, start applying to faculty jobs, different universities um, and just see what's out there. That's great, man. Well, you're on, so you're yeah. on campus there at Auburn now. Correct. Awesome. That's great. What a great place to, to learn. I mean, they've got such a great fisheries department and, you know, I graduated from Auburn and, um, I mean, it's a, it's a good school. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, I mean, Brian said it, you literally wrote the book on red eye bass. So mm-hmm. can you just walk us through one? How did you arrive at that? You know, of all the fish species in Alabama, which there are a lot, why that one? And, you know, tell us about that work. What does that look like for you? Sure. Yeah. So um, I probably need to back up a little bit to why, why I even wrote the book, you know, like how I arrived on that species. So um, at the time I was working in Birmingham um, at UAB and I was in the neurology department there and just very high pace, high stress job. Um, And my, my downtime was just go fish somewhere. I mean, my boss and I even had an arrangement where you know, she was like, I, I like you 
you know, if I can get you at a hundred percent for four days a week versus 70% for five days a week, like that's fine. Whatever you need to do that fifth day to, you know, relieve stress, whatever. So I would go fish. That's a good boss um, right there. I like that. I tell you, I mean, it was a, it was a really nice setup. Um, and so I would go fish for red eye bass and the way I arrived at red eye bass originally, um, is that I, when I first started fly fishing, what really spoke to me were backcountry brook trout. Um, so I really enjoyed, um, getting away from other people, getting out there, you know, camping out three, four or five miles from trail access and just, just being alone. And I just, it, I enjoyed the experience more. Um, I felt like the, the water was all mine. You know, there's no anxiety of well, this guy's catching fish and I'm not or whatever. Um, and just the things you see when you're, you're away from those more populated areas, you know, more wildlife, um, bug life, things like that. And, um, I was spending a lot of time driving to the Smoky Mountains to do that. And somebody mentioned to me, I, I believe it was Josh Tidwolf that, um, that first said, you need to fish for red eye bass. And of course, like most people in Alabama, what is that? <laughs> and, um, you know, I started looking into it and, you know, he's like, Hey, I've got a Creek here. You know, I guarantee you for the first hundred yards, you'll catch one. So I went and fished and I think it was like the hurt first 150, 200 yards before I finally caught one. So I felt a little, little bad that I didn't do it when I was supposed to do it. But when I caught that fish and just looking at it and the colors that you're not used to seeing on bass, um, it, it just completely captivated me. And I, you know, immediately wanted to devour anything I could about this species. Like what, where do they look, where all do they live? Um, you know, what have other people caught these, you know, why there's gotta be more out there. And, um, I just couldn't find anything. Um, there was very few articles and most of those were buried into random fly fishing magazines over the last decade or two. Um, so you'd have to order a back issue to be able to, to read that article. Um, and even the scientific literature is very limited on these species. Typically they're, you know, buried down into state reports or theses and dissertations or behind a paywall with academic journals. So, um, I started, you know, getting all this information, all this data about these fish and, and trying to better understand them for myself. And then I thought, well, if I'm interested, maybe someone else is interested. So I, you know, the, the information that I had, I thought was enough to, you know, start kind of compiling and, um, fast forward to years of me fishing for them, um, and kind of getting my own experience and, you know, contributions to the information that I had. Um, I, I just decided to write a book and I thought, you know, I have no idea how to do this. I have um, no idea if anybody was going to buy this, but if for nothing else for myself, I want to get all this information into one location, um, you know, just to, to have. And so, um, you know, the, the deeper I dug, the more I realized that, you know, there's just the state doesn't know a lot about these fish. I mean, they're just kind of flown under the radar. And in many cases, maybe that's, you know, can, can be a good thing sometimes. Um, but, you know, I'd say bass in general have been largely under, understudied. So we've got, 
you know, so many endemic bass species from the different red eye, shoal bass, swanee bass, Choctaw bass, you know, all this stuff. And we know nothing about it because we're, we're just on the cusp of learning about them. Um, and, you know, most of the, the research on bass, you know, in the scientific community has been, um, you know, how to get bigger bass in Paul Paul's farm pond or how to get bigger bass on whatever reservoir. So bass masters will come here instead of there. And, um, you know, you're managing for size, not species or species diversity. And so you're seeing that shift now. And as we've, as we've made that shift, what we've learned are that for instance, shoal bass in Alabama have been extirpated and it happened without us even knowing because nobody was looking. Um, we just knew they were there and then we knew they weren't there. And, um, you know, that's one example. And then you look at red eye bass and some of these other systems in Georgia and South Carolina, and they're disappearing because of introductions of Alabama bass, which are, are non-native to those. And so they're hybridizing and every year there's fewer and fewer pure red eye bass. Um, and to the, to that point, those state agencies don't know what the end result's going to be. I mean, they're kind of just watching it unfold with very limited resources to do anything about it. Um, and so I started thinking, well, if we don't know anything about these populations in Alabama, um, how can we manage them? How do we even know there aren't problems here? And so, you know, the book kind of came to light at that same time. So it was, you know, I wanted to educate people on the importance of the fish, the uniqueness of the fish, um, but also, you know, make it a, a fly fishing book because people aren't going to buy just like, you know, a science book. Right. Right. <laughs> so, I, you know, I kind of melded the two. So it's That's really good. a, kind of a conservation book disguised as a fly fishing book. Um, Brilliant. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I, I pulled one over on a lot of Matt, people. That, uh, um, that's so fascinating that you say that about going for size. I mean, I grew up fishing. I, I mean, uh, just been fishing my whole life. It, it wasn't until probably my thirties that I realized there were different species of fish I was catching. I thought everything was a large mouth if it wasn't a small mouth, you know? And then, exactly. You know, if yeah. I caught a small one, Oh, that's just a, that's just a female, you know, or, or that's a male. And you're catching the females out of the big bellied ones. And, you know, I, I think about that. I'm like, how many different species did I catch before I even knew there were different species? Yeah. I mean, and I, and I'm an Alabama native. Yeah. I mean, I grew up here and, and fishing and on, on Lake Eufaula, on Lake Eufaula <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm like, goodness gracious. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we are ignorant, not, not in a stupid sense, but just ignorant of not knowing the information. Yeah. And I'm in the same boat. I mean, I grew up in South Alabama where Choctaw bass are native. I've caught them before and we just called them spotted bass. We didn't know. Um, And I think that's the case for a lot of these species because some of them do have a very limited range. And so just by nature, they're not going to be as well known. Um, And again, like, you know, science is just discovering some of these. So um, there's so much we don't know about them so it's it's exciting because in the bass world at least you know this is kind of the the frontier um we're we're just now learning what we have and where we have it and then as we're doing that we're also learning you know some problems with non-native introductions and things like that and i I think in general people just think that bass are ubiquitous you know 
they're interchangeable. Largemouth, spotted, whatever. Those, you know, those are the two main bass. Smallmouth, spotted, largemouth. Those are the three that everybody knows about. But there's actually a lot more, and some of them are kind of cryptic because they may look a lot like, you know, some of those one of those three more commonly known species. Um, and so I think that just getting information out there um, that there are different species of bass. Uh, they have some of them have small ranges. Um, and some of them have some serious issues because of that, whether it's habitat loss or, you know, habitat disturbance or non-native introduction. So specifically zooming back in on red eye, we've, you know, through my work here at Auburn, um, you know, we've, we've determined there's actually some pretty serious conservation threats with these fish in Alabama, specifically the Cahaba and the black warrior species of red-eye bass and um what we what we know is that they're hybridizing with alabama bass at a pretty high rate um higher than you would expect higher than it exists between two other native bass species um in the literature currently and so the question is well, what are we seeing is this natural is this you know human induced what what's going on and so the preliminary data that we have suggest that it's it's disturbance based so that things like sedimentation um, due to poor construction practices or development you know all those things um, lead to turbidity uh, which changes the you know the habitat of that specific stream segment or stream and then you've got um, you know things like pollution from all the industry, coal mining effluent, things that have historically been around the Birmingham area where the Black Warrior and Cahaba are located. Um, and so we've been able to kind of correlate instances of, of hybridization with disturbance. And so what we're really trying to hone in on now is, okay, so what what specifically is, is facilitating hybridization between these two native fish? Um, and I think that's going to be a really interesting thing as we move forward with trying to manage these populations of red-eye bass is understanding how we can prevent hybridization if we're the ones that are causing it. Um, if we're not, then what does that mean? And how do we protect these refuge populations of you know genetically pure red-eye bass that are left? Um, so there's a lot of interesting work that's, you know, kind of still going on, but, um, you know, we have no idea how long it's been going on uh, because, again, these fish have kind of existed in streams that no one knew about. Um, so, well, you know, we have a yeah, it's kind of a um, a hard question to answer. And Brad, I'm going to skip ahead to a, co- a question uh, on our on our list. It's uh, what can people do to help this? Um, you know, it's it's a it seems like a problem that we really don't know what the cause of the problem is, but do you see a solution? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, there's a lot of things that or a few things that people could do. Um, so one of the things I, I think is a good idea for everybody that's, you know, um, that recreates on water is to get involved with a river keeper, whether that's Coosa river keeper, Cahaba, black warrior, all of them. Um, you know, these groups do a lot of work, whether it's monitoring for pollution and, um, 
you know, sedimentation that's being deposited into the, the creeks or rivers. Um, you know, they're kind of the front lines, you know, groups that are really protecting the quality of the water, whether that's, you know, drinking quality, swimming quality, fish habitat quality, you know, they're, they're kind of the ones boots on the ground checking on things. Um, and most of them are, are donor funded. Um, and so they really rely on, you know, donations to do what they do. Um, and so you can support them by donating, you know, all of them have events to kind of gather like-minded folks and raise money. Um, so you can attend those events. Um, so that's, that's one thing I think that everybody can do. Um, the other thing is, you know, Native Fish Coalition has a chapter in Alabama now. And tell us um, about your involvement you know, on you that. Can, you're, you're on that board, aren't you? Yeah. So I, I started the Alabama chapter of Native Fish Coalition just because there was a lot of parallels with what they were doing with um, brook trout up in the, the northeast um, to what we want to do with red-eye bass in the south. Um, their issues up there are different because because we're dealing with there are um, hatchery produced rainbow trout, brown trout stocked on top of native brook trout streams. And so what you have are, you know, these brook trout populations that are displaced by hybridization, you know, you name it. Um, a strong foundation up there for being a voice for native fish. Um, and it, while brook trout kind of is how they got their start, um, you know, we're quick to tell people that, that organization, it's not a, a, an angling organization, it's a native fish organization. And so we brought, you know, given the diversity of species and the, the different uh, challenges and issues that we've really been around of educational signage with different partner organizations for um, tri-spot darter. Um, what do we do? And uh, it's escaping the name right now, the Vermilion darter in Turkey Creek. Uh, and we have, you know, a whole host on projects kind of in the now with different species of darters, uh, spring pygmy sunfish, you know, anything we can do to help bolster the um, awareness of native fish in Alabama and help protect those native fish and their habitat in Alabama. That's, that's kind of what we focus on. And so I stepped aside as the state chair recently um, because I had been kind of bumped up to the national vice chair for native fish coalition. And so um, my job with that kind of um, has expanded to include the South. In, in general. And so I kind of help start new chapters in the South, support those chapters, um, but still am involved as a board member on the Alabama um, board so that I can, you know, keep, keep this momentum going and keep working to, to help protect native fish here. I, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the, the film festival, um, the international fly fishing film festival, which is me and Brian were noticing their logo. And it looked like there was a little little red eye bass in the in in some of the artwork, so I thought that was pretty cool. And so you see things you see yeah. things like that, and so uh, you know, it seems like Alabama fly fishing is growing. 
and what are some you know what are some benefits and some ways that you see it growing um you know since you've been doing it um so i you know i think we had a pretty solid foundation um with folks that have been doing this a long time so you know rob rogers at deep south frank roden in rainbow city um the jacksons at, at riverside fly shop i mean they've they've been building and contributing to the sport in Alabama for years. Um, and I think they're uniquely equipped to handle the, the growth of the sport in the different you know sectors of the state. But I, I think that um, aside from those kind of taller than life figures, there's, there's people scattered all over the state that are, that are fly fishermen or have been for, for years. So there's, you know, um, people in North Alabama, there's people in central Alabama, there's people in South Alabama and Eastern Alabama. And I think what's changed is those groups used to be kind of insular, maybe not, maybe not on purpose, but they just didn't know the others existed. Um, And so what's happened, I think in the last few years with, you know, the red eye movement, these fly fishing film tour events, um, these people have now started to meet one another. And so what you have is like all these separate uh, groups that fly fish in Alabama coming together and knowing one another. And so you're seeing kind of a more singular fly fishing Alabama group. Um, Guides are meeting each other. Guides are popping up. Um, Rod builders, fly tires, you know, are, are getting discovered by each other, but also by people that are new to the sport and, um, I just think that that now, um, you know, instead of people going into, you know, say Rob's shop in Birmingham and at Deep South Outfitters and and getting outfitted for this, you know, yearly trip to Belize or you know, we're going to Montana on vacation or whatever, you've got people like, hey, how do I fish the Cahaba? How do I fish the Tallapoosa? Um, and, and I think that a lot of the work that we've done to help grow fly fishing in Alabama is really played into that um and kind of unifying the masses and the different cliques and things like that to to really have the fly fishing community in alabama um and it's it's pretty exciting to see um and i don't you know i think that my book has contributed to that 100 um, but also but i also think that you know the larger movement you know the red eye slam as we've already mentioned with jonathan that we started i mean that was huge you've got east alabama fly fishing stephen rockerts on the cahaba smallmouth anglers up north wade blevins which i know you've talked to him um brandon bells Corey hendrick with um fly tying rod building with blue water rod company and now you know calico rods and so i mean it's just that's a it's, rich community. It's really cool to see it grow. Yeah. And everybody's, you know, how can we help one another? Um, yeah. And That's so, the feeling that I've gotten too, Matt. It's it's like all those guys that you just mentioned, I, I would say that, you know, they're, they're buddies, you know, I mean, we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're friends with, you know, most of the guys I haven't, um, is it Stephen Cook with Calico? I've not met him, but I've got yep. several friends of friends with him. And I mean, and, but you know these uh, that whole community is just such a welcoming and open community that it's really i feel like it's that's part of it too it's this community that everybody owns and everybody's a part of and everybody's supporting um 
you know, and, and, and we right. do stand on the shoulders of giants like, you know, Rob and those other guys that you mentioned around the state. Um, one day mm-hmm. people will say that about you and, you know, the work that you've done. <laughs> uh, maybe. Or maybe they'll be like, oh, man, this guy ruined red eye fishing. Um, <laughs> who knows? It all started but with that I, book. <laughs> this yeah. guy. That, if I could pick one thing that ruined it. Um, no, I think you're right. I mean, you know, there's there's so many people that, um, you know, come in to the sport that are new that talk about how welcoming the fly fishing community here is. And I think it's because everybody has – you know, kind of the same goals. Like we want to see fly fishing grow. We want to see fly fishing have a voice in the state. You know, it's not just, um, you know, Bassmaster Classics on Lake Gunnersville. Um, it's not just crappie fishermen. You know, it's, it's, it's not just the saltwater group that we don't hear a lot about. You know, there's a, there's another group of anglers in Alabama and those are fly, fly anglers. And, and I think that we're growing and, um, I think the exciting thing is not only are we growing, but we're growing in, in the right way. You know, fly fishing by nature typically is more associated with, you know, conservation and um, willingness to be involved with conservation. So you're not just creating people that want to consume the resource. You're, you're creating, you know, anglers that want to be stewards of the resource. Um, And I think that's a really important distinction and a really, um, sustainable way to grow um and so that's that's exciting well that's to good to hear because you know that's my next question was what is the like what is the the one need that we would have in the state to both grow but also be conservationists like what what does that look like how can we you know i, I know you mentioned this the, the the individual river keepers and all that but What's that one need that that we could do or that we that we could help to fill that gap as listeners? Um, it's a I mean, that's a, a good question. That's one I think about a lot because, you know, there's always a, a fine line between, um, you know, creating awareness for something versus exploiting mm-hmm. something. Um, and so I think that you know, Alabama is already a, a fishing destination. Right. Um, as, as I mentioned, even though it's primarily largemouth bass or those mean Coosa river spots, which are actually Alabama bass, um, you know, those are the main things that people come to target bass wise. And then you get into crappie and other things that people like to fish for. Um, but I think the key for, for fly fishermen is that, most of those other anglers that I mentioned are, are primarily on the lakes. Right. I mean, that's where they spend the majority of their time. And so we've got all these rivers and streams, I mean, thousands and thousands of miles that, that need love, um, that need people to know that they're there. Um, but people to respect them, you know, not, mm-hmm. not something to drive your Jeep through or somewhere to deposit your beer cans. Um, uh, and not just a swimming hole, yeah. you know, yeah, or, t- or tires, <laughs> um, which is pretty common as well. Um, but to really understand, you know, the rivers for how how natural they are, which is, you know, quote unquote natural these days, you know, there's so much modification. Um, but 
you know, a place that people can go enjoy, understand the, the biodiversity, um, the sights and sounds that you experience on these waterways that you're not going to get on a lake. Um, I just, I think that's the key is to kind of um, get people excited about fishing on moving water, streams, rivers. Um, and, and that's going to be, I think that's going to be able to handle some of the growth because it's going to, it's going to pull some away from the, the lakes and reservoirs. Um, and I, I just don't think it's going to be, I don't think there's a way you can overfish it, at least not the way the current regulations and things are set up. Um, you know, they monitor that they, they know what the populations of bass and crappie and things like that are. And that's how they set the bag limits. They, they know, you know, how many can, can be taken and not everybody that's fishing for them are taking them. So, um, I, I think there's, I think Alabama can handle it. It's just doing it in the right way. Um, well, that's encouraging. Yeah. So as you as you dig yeah, as I you mean, dig deeper into the species and you talked about its colors, um, and just just seeing it and seeing the places, what is how has that impacted you, and how has it impacted your perhaps your beliefs, or you know, we often will say you know how can somebody believe this is you know this all just happened right when you see a creature like that. So how does that what does that look like for you and how has it impacted you? Yeah. Um, it's so it's 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 deeper than that for me um just because i like to take a step back um you know science in general is um it's it's often in conflict with religion um and and, and most scientists actually are professing atheists um and that's something I've had to deal with, you know, being a Christian in science now for the past 15 years or so. Um, you're constantly like, how are you a Christian if you're a scientist and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so um, I think that me, me personally, so I've, you know, I've kind of, I'm into reform theology and um, that kind of theology is very cerebral. And so it, it kind of speaks to me as a scientist, as an academic. Um, and I've always in, enjoyed that. So like the apologetics and things like that. But, you know, the more I learn about science, and I'm talking like a cellular level, you know, the millions of pathways that have to happen for us to breathe, um, <laughs> and all the molecules that have to be made in order for, us to be able to do those things. Um, it's just amazing. I mean, you cannot deny that there has to be, you know, a design to all that. Uh, I don't think it can happen by chance, you know, um, that people like to say, or by, you know, evolution, uh, at least on a, a macro sense. Um, and, and all the checks and balances that exist at the molecular level to ensure that those molecules function the way they're supposed to function. And if they don't, there's a backup plan, you know, um, it's, you know, just the detail that you, you learn about. Um, and so then zooming back out, you know, looking at it on an organismal level, 
you know, I can look at a red eye bass and, and just think about like, how did that color on that fin get made and, and why did it get made? We don't know currently. Um, but I guarantee you it's, it's genetic, at least at some level. Um, yeah, those, I mean, and Brian and just, I talk about those spawning colors of, the, of, of those bass. Yeah. I mean, it is unbelievable. It's nothing like those. I, I, I've only seen photos. I haven't seen it yet. So my hope is to get up there during during spawn and actually see one myself. But the photos are staggering, the color of those fish. Yeah. I mean, the color of the fish, and then you, you, know, you step away from the fish itself and you look at the place where they live, mm-hmm. you know, those rivers and streams with the, the rock and the clear water, um, some of the flowers, native plants and things like that. And, you, you know, look, you're looking at a habitat at that point. So then you, you think about, wow, this fish has been designed to live in this mm. spot and how and why and what, you know, so you just think about all those things. You just really just, uh, you can't help but to just kind of stand back in awe and um, just be amazed that it happened, you know, that it exists. Um, and so for me, that's a lot of, you know, red eye bass have taken me to all sorts of places like that, um, that I never knew existed. And I, I think that it's, it's something to be proud of. It's something that we can take pride in in Alabama that we have really good populations of multiple species of red eye bass. And it, it just kind of helps me appreciate where we live, um, mm-hmm. in, a, in a whole new level, but also again, that I think we have to be stewards of, of yeah. that. Um, and so it just, it's, it's a good reminder and it's something I think about a good bit when I'm out there. Matt, you've, uh, I think I've heard you say that the red eye is kind of like the Alabama brook trout and you know, mm-hmm. they live in very similar uh, ecosystems, very similar habitats. They're very colorful. You know, I, I love that idea of, you know, we've traveled, I've traveled up to, uh, you know, Tennessee, North Carolina, chasing brook trout. But Brad and I have also traveled into some really beautiful places here in Alabama to find these uh, red-eye bass. You know, and when I'm around those places, I am in awe of also as of the beauty. And, and that to me is like, very uh it's uh, i don't know it's it's one of those kind of situations where i find myself praising god more (coughs) for man this is something he created and it is so beautiful Mm -hmm. are there times like that when you're in the outdoors and and are there ways that you experience god in the outdoors yeah i mean i think that you know, aside from just the, the visual beauty and like, man, I'm thankful that I get to do this. Um, I'm thankful that this exists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got the, I think the peace and quiet mm-hmm. that's out there. So it, it gives you a chance to kind of ponder on things and reflect on things. And, you know, oftentimes when I'm fishing, it's, um, and you guys probably can relate to this, um, you know, as a parent, um, when I'm away from my kids, I miss my kids. I feel like I should be with my kids, but when I'm with my kids, sometimes I just need to get away and get peace and quiet. So there's never, I'm never happy, fully complete either way. Um, and I can't wait till I get older so I can take them with me. Cause then that'll, that'll be different. Um, but right now, you know, I, when I'm out there, I, I'm thinking about how can I be a better father? How can I be a better 
husband. Um, my wife is just a saint for letting me go do these things um, while she's at home with both kids. Um, so I, you know, I think about all those things. Um, you know, I think about, you know, how lucky I am to be able to be a father, to be a husband. Um, and so it, it usually results in me thinking a lot more about my family um, and, you know, how much I can't wait to introduce my kids to this when they get older and explain to them, you know, God's creation through the lens of red eye bass, which is it, it's helped me see the world in a different way. I mean, before red eye bass, I, I did not, even being a scientist did not really appreciate, you know, um, ecology or, um, the biodiversity even that we have in Alabama and how all those things are related and how much our impact has changed those things. And it, it just helped me to have a more holistic approach for, um, you know, some of the different ecosystems that we have in Alabama and the, and the uniqueness of those. And, um, all of that was through, you know, red eye bass. Um, and so, it was like Pandora's box for me. Um, and, and I hope that it is for other people that that's part of the goal with, with growing red eye bass awareness, people fishing for them is that they'll have those same experiences. And, and I have dozens of people that have written me, messaged me, whatever, you know, telling me how much my book has, has changed their outlook on fishing in Alabama how much it's helped them discover a cool fish they didn't know existed and how much they appreciate that fish. Now, what can they do to, to help? You know, it's just, um, way more people have been impacted by it than I thought ever would. And it's always encouraging for me to see what I wanted to happen, actually be the, you know, the way that the book is interpreted mm -hmm. and accepted and it's having the impact that I wanted it mm -hmm. to have. Um, so it's been exciting. That's good. I certainly can, uh, yeah, I definitely resonate with that. I just recently, long story, but I just recently came into possession of a boat and starting to spend some time out on the, on the marsh down here, you know, going after redfish with a fly rod. And, and we were out there this last Friday and, it was just so quiet, you know, out there in the middle of that marsh and, you know, the wind was, was blowing and you're watching, you know, crab, little small crabs needle through the grass, you know, they call it marsh hens and little birds out there. There's just, just all this whole world of, of an ecosystem rolling out there. And, uh, you know, mo we, we came up on this massive, I mean, if I'd had a cast net, I could have caught 200 mullet it looked like there was just this this, this <laughs> huge group of mullet that were just feeding and fishing and and rolling over you know i was like well i'm gonna throw i'm gonna throw my little shrimp pattern up through there and pull it through there and see if one hits it you know who knows because they were just i'd never yeah. seen that many at one time so like you get to see so many things you know when you're in places like that and it it certainly does you know draw draw my eyes upward to go, my goodness, God, look what you have made. Look what you have created. And we get to enjoy it. You know, mm -hmm. we get to enjoy it. It's really, really, really cool. 
Sounds like we need to go fish with Brad. You know, I was, a lot to learn. I was thinking that. I got a lot to learn yet, man. You, come on. Come on. We'll figure some stuff out together. <laughs> hey, I think uh, we could take yeah. some of those Corey Kendrick uh, shrimp patterns down and do some damage. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think, um, you know, it's it's important to mention, too, that, um, you know, I, I, I mentioned the red eye bass was kind of my lens into understanding like conservation and, you know, uh, ecosystem level appreciation. And, um, then you start learning how much we have messed up things with, um, poor development practices. I mean, whatever you name it, there's a ton of things out there and there's a really good Aldo Leopold quote, um, that, that really resonates with me. And it's, um, what is it? It, um, one of the one of the penalties of an ecological education is that one lives alone in a world of wounds um and it's like you if you if you don't understand all those things or take the time to understand those things you you just you don't even know what's going on but then once you do understand it and you start seeing all the different issues that we've created um I think one of the, you know, one of the goals of, of the red eye bass movement with when Jonathan and I first sat down discussing it was we want people to fish for them because that is the gateway. Like that's how you get in, but we want them to also understand, you know, how unique those fish are, how important they are, how fragile the, the streams are where they live um understand the issues that are facing them whether it's habitat loss or hybridization or or whatever and and know that you know that's some of these species we we may lose we may not but i mean there's legitimate concerns about those black warrior and cahaba red eye bass species um especially the, the black warrior um and so we want we want to create an understanding that's both educational um, and conservation minded as people pursue these, these fish. And so that's something I think about a lot is, you know, what's our impact? Um, what does that look like? And I know that's something that, you know, we, we talked a little bit about um, with Alabama becoming a, fly fishing destination and i think a lot of people are coming to catch red eye bass i mean that's that's something that we've we've seen grow. and you can just you can quantify that pretty easily by just looking at instagram and you know before my book there was you know a couple hundred hashtag red eye bass or whatever and now there's thousands how many um, of those are hybrids and, <laughs> <laughs> well i don't want to people get you know, disappointed. <laughs> crush their I try not to do that as much. I love it. I love it. Um, oh, but no way, you know, I, I, when I wrote the book before I released the book and, and even now continually as this grows, I have conversations with people, you know, how do we avoid loving something too much? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how, how do we keep the movement, going in the right direction because i think right now it has been very positive growth it's been people that are genuinely um, respectful of the fish and just 
want to experience it and want to experience the places that they live. And we laugh because I, I was talking to a guy just the other day and <clears throat> he made the comment that <laughs> how many people in jean shorts and sneakers have just completely trotted through all these creeks and rivers um, with beetle spins, you know, before it, it was a thing and kept a stringer or, or two or however many, you know, these fish and they're yeah. still here. <laughs> so I don't think right now that anglers are the issue. Um, I think that what we're dealing with more, more um, on, on a broad sense is more the habitat loss or habitat disturbance and introduction of non-native species. And so that's, that's really why we kind of try to target um, anglers. I mean, these, these user groups are already there. There's no secrets anymore. Um, you know, what's going to happen if we don't take a proactive approach and shed, you know, light on this species in a, in a positive and a, a respectful and a conservation type way is somebody's going to come along as an influencer or whatever and just blow it up. And then there's, there's no balance to the story there. It's just, this is fun to fish for and, you know, have at it boys, you know? Um, so what we want to do is we want to try through this to change overall the, the way we view our resources in Alabama from, from being just consumptive users of a resource to conservationists, um, or at least being more knowledgeable of conservation. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, when I talk to people, you know, older than me, several generations older, um, you know, fishing is, is strictly a food source. You know, when I tell them about red eye bass, the first question is, are they good to eat? Yeah. Um, and I'm always like, Oh, I, I don't know, but that's not why I fish for, you know, and, it, um, changing people's idea of complaining about fisheries because I'm not catching my limit or I'm not catching the big ones or, you know, how do we, how do we change the narrative from, you know, size and numbers to what should be here, what's native, what's, you know, special experiences, things like that. And you're not going to do that with everybody. I mean, there's just people that care nothing about catching tiny fish. Um, and that's, that's fine. But again, like I mentioned earlier, there's also a fine line between, you know, awareness and exploitation and, and how do you navigate those two things? Um, and so my goal always with red eye bass was to create thoughtful and ethical awareness, you know, educate people on what the fish is, why it's important, how you can catch them, but don't give specific locations. So you'll notice my book, there's no like park here, go here, this stream, this, whatever. It's like the Coosa river system, the Tallapoosa river system, because that was my way to educate folks of the fish and, and create awareness for the fish, but also not give out a roadmap to exploitation basically. Well, and that um, there's a lot of, I, there, there's, there's a lot of wisdom in that. And I think that it's, it's almost more rewarding to find those fish on your own, you know, and, you know, we, right. we use, we, we've had guides help us and help us to kind of identify these places. But, you know, when you go out on your own and you've learned from these guides on what to look for, what are these places? Uh, what are the habitats? Where do you cast? And you find one on your own, man. That's that's where a really rewarding trip is. Is that right there? Rather than just doing something else, someone else did. Right. 
Yeah, and I think I've said this before too, and I didn't invent this. Other people say this all the time. You only protect what you love, and if you don't know something, you can't love it. And so if we can get people to understand these places, experience these places, fall in love with these places, then they're going to want to protect them. Now, that's bigger than red-eye bass. And, and realistically, that's the whole goal is by protecting the places that they live, you are protecting red-eye bass. Um, and so we want to help people love it in an impactful way. So our audience has always been anglers. You know, it's kind of a narrow audience because anglers have done a lot of damage to fisheries. So moving non-native species around and things like that. And then specifically fly anglers, because again, I've mentioned they're you know, very tuned into conservation, mostly catch and release. Um, so these, these are kind of narrow approaches with our, you know, specific message or platform or whatever to inform those that already care about, about fisheries or could benefit from more knowledge so that they care more. Um, and I think these are going to be the people that are going to be most effective in creating change, you know, down the road. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's that standpoint, there's people that like me think that you can do more by, you know, educating certain user groups, um, to create awareness and, and hopefully conservation. And there's people that are gatekeepers, you know, that are like, I don't want anyone to know where this is. I wish that no one knew about red eye bass so that I could just enjoy it. And, and I think that, I, you know, if people want to do that, that's fine, but I don't think you're helping the resource. Yeah. You know, you're just, you're still being a consumptive user of the resource. You're taking, it's a real selfish you're not giving anything <laughs> back. Right. Um, and I, like I mentioned, you know, in today's world with the internet and Instagram and everything else, there's, there's no secrets. I mean, I've, you know, over the last few years, people have done YouTube videos and Instagram stories and videos and, you know, very identifiable landmarks and things like that. And it only takes that, that one time for someone to be like, aha, I know where you were, um, and, and, and go there. And it, it could be someone that wants to go catch a stringer for dinner and on a small stream with as slow as red eye bass grow, that could be detrimental. Um, and so I think that, you know, you gotta, you gotta do something because if you do nothing, they're going to go the way of the shoal bass and they're going to be gone because that some of them are already on that trajectory, but you also can't, you know, just, just keep it a secret because that's, you know, nothing's going to happen. So I think that, um, we can do more by getting the word out in a thoughtful way. Um, and, you know, give people a greater appreciation understanding of the fish. Um, not, you know, how do I catch my limit? How do I cook them? You know, I, I think outdoors are kind of getting away from hook and bullet in general into more of a, a thoughtful pursuit of, of whatever game or species. Um, and so hopefully this education eventually, you know, creates more awareness that will drive research and hopefully that research will help drive better, you know, information uh, for management and policy to help these fish down the road. Um, and, and I think that this is just one species you know, or, or group of species really. So I think this same model can be applied and, and amplified in Alabama to, to help a lot of different things. You know, red-eyed bass is not the only fish that that's here that you can fly fish for. 
Um, it, to, it's just the most fun to me. I mean, I'm biased, but there's a lot more that we can we can do here. And so, um, I do have people occasionally that message me, and you know, how, how do you how do you create awareness, but also avoid exploitation? And, and how do you you know um, deal with those two things in your own mind? And you know, I just tell them, like, I don't know that what we're doing is the, the right way to do it. I'm always willing to take a step back and look at our approach and and rethink things or, or you know, um, consider other thoughts or opinions or whatever. But I know that what we're doing is making a difference. Um, and it's making a difference in, in the minds of people that, you know, pursue these fish. Uh, other people are noticing. I mean, the state is noticing that they're they're having an increase in red eye bass anglers. Um, they've funded projects. What what I did for my dissertation um, because of some of that renewed interest. So I mean, it's hard to argue that you're making a difference. You got to keep making sure that the trajectory goes in a positive way and not in a negative way. And I think people that are just you know out there to be a consumptive user. Um, and keep it a secret it obviously doesn't have the best um, of the resource in yeah. mind. So, you know, that's, I could go on a soapbox on that for, for days and days and days, but you know, I, I just think you, you can't sit by idly and do nothing. Yeah, I, and so Matt, maybe this is opening, this could be opening up like a can of worms that maybe we don't have time for, but I hear like, I guess this has drawn me to think about as believers, as Christians, you know, historically, you know, a lot of Christians, you know, sort of dog or I want to say, I, I hear this term every now and then, like they sort of poo-poo on conservation or like taking care of the, you know, you know, of creation, you know, taking care of the environment. There, that, that would probably be a word, the sort of the buzzword of they're an environmentalist, you're a scientist, they're on their side and we're on this side, but man, like as a stewards, like we, we were called to be stewards of, of creation. Mm-hmm. Like, shouldn't that play a, for us at least, shouldn't that play a part in driving us to, to maintain this balance that you're talking about? What do you think? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, that's something I've, you know, mentioned already a couple of times that I feel like we are to be stewards of these resources that we have. Um, and, you know, I think there's, whether that's wild turkeys or deer or red-eye bass, I mean, I think that, you know, we have an an, an ethical, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Obligation. I mean, I would go so far as... Obligation, obligation. yes. I would go so far as a God-given call. To, yeah. I've given you this exactly. to take care of this thing. Uh, I've created right. this and, for you to enjoy, for you to steer it, and for you to manage, and... Like, man, how can you not take that serious? Especially when you're in those beautiful places, you're like, I don't want this to go away. Mm-hmm. You know, this is so beautiful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree 100%. I mean, I think that we, you know, like the word I was looking for, obligation, whether that's spiritual, ethical, I think those can be intertwined, really, um, if you're a believer. And, you know, it's, we can't just sit back and, see what happens. I mean, I think we have to be active. We have to be voices for these resources that we, we cherish because if, if we're not, 
Like if, if I, if I had spent as much time as I do on a red eye bass stream and no one knew about it, I didn't say anything about it. Then who is, who's going to, you know, I mean, it's, I kind of feel a responsibility, um, to an extent. And so, you know, I think other people need to feel that responsibility, um, because it's not, it's not mine. I enjoy it, but there's so many other people that do. And, well, and it's not that um, hard, right? I mean, pick up your trash. No, keep your ha- keep exactly. keep your hands wet when you're touching the fish. Be gentle with their mouth. You know, just simple things. Right. Don't you know? Just don't be stupid on the water, and you know, move the rocks around, and you know, things like that. I mean, just dude, I laugh so hard at those videos of those guys kicking over those like the balance rocks have you ever seen any of those online they'll, they'll they'll find like where the people have like balanced those stones and you know i'm not really sure the purpose behind that but they'll like go kick them over it just cracks me out because i think that's what my son would I had a, that's what my son would love to do <clears throat> not for any other reason other than to just knock it over just knock it over <laughs> I, I do that all the time when i come across them i mean i just kick and sometimes you know it's like oh, i shouldn't have kicked that hard that those are rocks that hurt <laughs> Um, but those but, are the waiting boots. You know, I had that's a, changing the habitat, right? I, had, I mean, that's why you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it it takes habitat. I mean, essentially out of the yeah, stream right. that is, are used right. by insects. Where now, you know, of nine thousand rocks in that stream is eight thousand nine hundred ninety going to make a difference? Probably not. It's the principle of the matter. Right. Um, and so I had a really kind of a heated exchange on Instagram a while back when I posted a picture of me kicking over one of those. I think I saw that. I think that's what, what I remember. And this guy was like, well, if we really want to be, you know, you know, specific about not messing with the habitat, we wouldn't be sticking hooks in their mouths or whatever. And I'm like, okay. You know, it's like, it's not all or nothing, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, you can, you can participate in those things in a, in a way where you're not, necessarily doing harm to the fish or at least not you know not killing the fish um and not ruin the habitat in the process you know um so i I just hate that that outlook yeah there's Um, a i can't remember there's a friend of mine that i always dave kakish who's been on the podcast before and i usually give him credit because i can't remember it if he cited if it was a, a Spurgeon or if it was a, a Calvin or somebody, but it was somebody that he read, I think. And but I uh, I come across it all the time in life. Period. Not just theologically, but just in situations like this. It's like the proverbial drunk man on a horse. If you lean mm-hmm. too far one way or the other, you're going to be laying on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to there's right. we have to strike this balance, you know. Like if you really you know, wanted to make an impact, you wouldn't put hooks in their mouths. Well, I wouldn't get to enjoy seeing these beautiful creations if I didn't, or I'd have to snorkel in two feet of water, you know? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And and to be even more, you know, specific, I mean, you look at what hunters and anglers have done for conservation. I mean, they are the backbone of conservation in the United States. I mean, they, they are who funds the work that we've done. Um, to, to restore populations or better understand populations. Right. And I think a lot of people don't realize that they think that they're just, they're just here. And like, we've had no part in it. And it's like, yeah, we, 
we've ruined some things. Then we've had to bring some things back and hunters and anglers are mostly responsible for doing that. That's it's right. not, well, that's why I don't, I don't, you I don't know, bat one eye about having to pay for a fishing license or a, nope. a trout tag. I mean, right. that that's, that's helping conservation. That's right. Absolutely. You, yep. Matt, you've mentioned a couple of times your, um, you know, a previous book that you've already written, but you've got something new coming out. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Tell us about so, that. Um, yeah. So even actually before I wrote my red eye book, I had kind of been tooling around with the idea of writing a, a book about fly fishing in Alabama. And, um, you know, I wanted to obviously start more <laughs> localized for my first book. Cause I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and so I kind of put that aside, did the red eye thing and then, you know, kind of went back to it as soon as I published the red eye book and, and kind of been writing on it off and on for, for years. And really just the last two years, um, I reached out to Stackpole books. Um, it's, it's, you know, same as Lions press and they're all kind of under the same umbrella, um, publisher. And I pitched the idea, um, because I had also pitched my red eye book to them. And they basically, you know, with the red eye book were like, Hey, you know, this is great. It's well written, but you know, this is such a niche within a niche. Like, I don't know that we can sell any. I'm like, yeah, I don't know either. Um, <laughs> and so it's great that that book has been so successful because I was able to kind of leverage that book's success, um, into getting this deal. Um, and so, you know, I, I sent them a manuscript kind of, as it was written, obviously with a lot of gaps and holes and, um, they wanted sales figures for all the, you know, red eye books. And I bet um, that was a shocking number for them. So I, I, you sold how many of those? Yeah, <laughs> I think, I, I think so. And I think that, um, you know, the fact that I did it yeah. all myself, um, self-publishing, self-promoting all that, um, I think turned some heads. Um, and so I think the exciting thing with that is, um, so after like two years of emailing back and forth, um, waiting six months for a reply, you know, whatever, I finally got a, got a reply that he's, and the guy was just so nonchalant about it, like, Hey, this, this got the green light today. So, um, I need your address and blah, blah. I'm like, Whoa, 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 wait, wait. say that again. It, it got the what now? And, and I emailed him back. I'm like, wait, so just, so I'm clear. You're telling me that like, this is going to happen. And that's um, awesome. He, he was like, he was like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, all right. You know? And so now it's new for me because, you know, I'm having to deal with a publisher and, you know, there's things that maybe they want to do and things that I want to do. And anyway, so that, that's all kind of fun. But, um, so the book is going to be, uh, kind of a fly fishing guide to Alabama. Um, I've been giving Stephen Rockert's a hard time because I always wanted the title to be fly fishing Alabama. <laughs> and he, he stole that without, I mean, to be fair to him, he had no idea. Um, and so I, I've got to come up with a different title. Um, but it's going to be a guide to fly fishing in Alabama and it's going to be freshwater. It's going to be saltwater. Um, so I'm going to be spending some time down there on the coast. No, a guy with a boat. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I've got to go down there and cover, um, you know, all the different saltwater species and, and inshore, offshore, near shore, surf. I mean, er everything. Um, and then I've got a pretty good pulse on the, you know, finger on the pulse of 
freshwater fishing, but there's still some gaps that I haven't personally done um, that I'm going to need to reach out to some folks that are maybe, you know, subject matter experts or whatever. And so what I want it to be is, I mean, this beautiful community of anglers that we've built in Alabama, I want to meet with and talk with as many people as possible, both, you know, that have been doing it for years, like Rob and, you know, um, some of those folks, as well as some of the new people that are just doing great things. I mean, Brandon Bells with his fly tying and things like that. And so um, it's really going to be a a history of fly fishing in Alabama. It's going to be a, you know, without GPS locations or specific spots, kind of a guide to fly fishing Alabama. I'd love to put in little footnotes with like breweries and barbecue joints and, you know, things like that. That's awesome. Supplement, you you know, the experience when you're, when you're fly fishing around. Um, But yeah, so it's, it's, uh, I think it's due in June of 2024. So I've got a little time to get it written um, and finalized. Um, But I I would imagine it would probably be out in early 2025, maybe. I mean, you know, that, that changes constantly. Well, that's going to be a fun um, couple of years of research. (laughs) <laughs> right. That's, I don't know that my wife, she was excited that, I, you know, like this is happening and all this kind of stuff. And I don't think she thought through long enough to realize what that means. Um, I'm going to be going on quite a few uh, fishing trips, research trips, sampling trips, as yeah. I like to call if them. If you need anybody um, to take notes, I mean, I can scribe for you. <laughs> yeah. So this is my note taker. This is my photographer. You know, we've got our entourage that travel around and do I'll these tell you things. What, man, I mean, that would be a fun addition to that book is like, you know, some real great photography, you know, brought into that. Cause I mean, that's part of the, right. That's part of the lure. That's part of the, the enjoyment of what we do yeah. is the beauty of, of fly fishing and yeah. beauty, capturing that and beauty. It'd be cool. And I've got, um, you know, several friends that are really good professional photographers that have already, you know, as soon as I talked about it, they were like, Hey, I want to, you know, take some pictures and I'm like, Hey, cause I mean, it's beneficial for them yeah. to have, you know, their stuff in yeah. a book, yeah. um, that's published and it's beneficial to me because it would help the quality of the book. Um, and so, I, I mean, I've got a lot of images that I can use that are my own, but I'm also really wanting to, to reach out to other folks. Again, I, I want to include as many people as I can in this process because I don't know everything about fly fishing and I never will. I don't know everything about Alabama. I don't know everything about fly fishing in Alabama. So I, I, you know, I need to lean on some other people to kind of make a project like this happen. What a treasure Um, that's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, we don't, we don't have that. So I'm really looking forward to it, man. Yeah. When you down here, um, there's a, there's a new little fly shop down in uh, Daphne. Um, the lost angler is what it's called. You have to check mm-hmm. those guys out and he would, uh, he'd be a great. I know, um, I know Pete from back in the, back in the day, uh, of the, the forums, yeah. um, online. And so we, I'd bought one of his shirts probably back in 2008 or nine, something like that. That was like a lost angler yeah. logo shirt. And that was before he even, you know, had the fly shop or any, any idea of probably yeah. having when he was building canoes or yeah. something. Then. No, it's but, coming um, together, man. He's doing a good job down here. He's on my list of, of people to talk to yeah, for sure. Great. Well, Matt, um, 
Last question we like to ask our guests is, uh, what's your next adventure? Do you have any fishing trips coming up? Any, any sample trips? <laughs> well, yeah, um, a lot. Um, so, you know, I've still, things are busier now because I'm not a student, you know, which is a little bit more laid back, um, you know, lifestyle where I can just not show up to work one day and go fish or whatever. Now I'm, you know, an employee. Um, and so I've got to be a little bit more strategic in how I take time away from work. Um, but I do, you know, I'll have to start this spring, um, on taking some trips around the state. And so I've already, you know, probably the first one will be in March, um, doing some striper fishing, um, on the Coosa river. And then, um, after that, I'll probably be making quite a few trips down to the, the coast. I, re- I really want to get the, the saltwater stuff filled out a little bit better just because I've got so much freshwater material already. Um, I really need to kind of fill in some gaps with the saltwater and, and I've fished so much, you know, fly fish so much for, for uh, saltwater species outside yeah. of Alabama, Louisiana, Florida. And so, you know, it's not going to be drastically different but I still need to, I need to do it in Alabama um, and talk to those people that, that do it often. Um, fly patterns, techniques, you know, all those, all those things and some species that I haven't ever fished for mm-hmm. before um, with a fly rod. Very so, cool. Super exciting. That's what's super next. exciting, man. I can't, I can't wait to see that come together. I mean, I, cause uh, I mean, Alabama is one of the most diverse fisheries, you know, you know, certainly in our country. And uh, I've always living, I, you know, I live a stone's throw from the Delta. You know, my, my house is, as the crow flies, probably only two miles from the heart, you know, from the Delta and uh, surrounded by boat launches. And I'm thankful to, you know, I just got this boat and there's just so much water to explore, you know. And so from brackish and salt water all the way up into the Delta and the freshwater, I mean, there is just mm-hmm. unbelievable amounts of fish to, to discover and to see. And, um, man, so... I've always, everybody's like, you fly fish down here? You know, I'm like, yeah, all the time. Like, they ain't a trout down there. Yeah, because yeah, that's I what know. people think. That's like the, my favorite thing to hear. <laughs> yeah. Trout in you, there? You catch out with fly rod? Um, yeah, I mean, even if you've seen any of the things, even next to my office, there's a ditch. That's a drainage ditch. Mm-hmm. It's on the map, it's Bolton Branch, but it's a ditch. It's got trash and stuff in it, but it's packed full of little, you know, all kinds of brim species and bass in there and I'll walk over there into the ditch and I'm sure they're driving by going, what's that boy doing down there? Waving that fishing rod around yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and on the same token, that's also daunting because, you know, I can't cover it all. Yeah. And so there's going to have to be some decisions. That made means there's a volume too. So. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, there you go. <laughs> um, the, the, yeah. Second edition. Right. Um, but yeah, I, you know, Alabama has so much water Absolutely. and trying to figure out how to, you know, you got to kind of group things. And so I've been really struggling with like, do I do like rivers and streams and then lakes or do I do just like Coosa river and then incorporate all the streams and reservoirs within that system. You know, it's like, there's so many different ways you could, you could do it. Um, and a lot of times I just sit there and stare at the blinking cursor and like, <laughs> all right, so <laughs> it's been 30 minutes. What have I, it's just taunting here. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, um, 
it's going to be a fun project, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a hard project too. Um, and so also while trying to, you know, do a postdoc and get a real job somewhere and, you know, um, two small kids. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be a whirlwind. Sounds like a great adventure. It's going to be, going to be fun. Absolutely. Yeah. So man, I've enjoyed this conversation, Matt, and I really appreciate you taking Me time too. to, to yeah. join us and, there's I feel like there's a lot left on the bone, so you'll have to. We'll certainly circle back around when that book is. Uh, Absolutely. When you finish up yep. the book, yeah, and we'll talk about. I'm sure there'll be some stories uh, that will come from those adventures. I mean, we heard a little bit, you know, because we 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 got to talk to Mary Beth about the about mm-hmm. the film a little bit. She had a couple good a uh, couple good stories that involved a U-Haul truck and a one lane road. <laughs> 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 so I'm sure there'll be some yeah. stories like that that uh, that come from uh, from all these sampling trips, and uh, yeah, and I I think too what we you know with those guys at Dorsal, I mean they have been phenomenal again, you know, yeah, absolutely amazing fly fishing filmmakers from Alabama, live in Alabama. We never knew, um, and so now we've gotten connected with them, and I think that there's going to be some piggybacking probably on some book research slash. Uh, film, awesome. you know, filming going on, hopefully. Um, and so we're excited to kind of continue to work with them. Obviously, Mary Beth included still as well. Um, because I think we, our little group has just, it's been really, really fun getting to know one another and kind of forming those new friendships. Um, and so, so definitely look for more from, from our Fantastic. little group as well. That's so exciting. Well, what are, um, far as what you do, what are ways our listeners can follow, uh, can follow your work and follow, I mean, would Instagram, do you have a website, those kinds of things? Um, I don't have a website yet. I've, I've owned a URL for, uh, eight years now. Um, <laughs> waiting for a, uh, a website. I just haven't done it. Um, so the best way is on Instagram. So, um, red eye bass fly fishing on Instagram, you can also, you know, all the other organizations we've talked about, Native Fish Coalition, um, Coosa Riverkeeper, Cahaba Riverkeeper, all those people have Instagram accounts. Mm-hmm. You can you can follow all of them. Um, and so that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. It's just me that, you know, kind of manages that account. So uh, if you message me, I'll, I'll be the one cool. to respond. Yeah, and, we'll make sure to have, so that's the best way. We'll make sure to have all of that in our, in our show notes and, of course, on our, our website on the story.doors.com where people can, you know, see, see more and uh, be able to connect more with these things. And then they'll be able to uh, hopefully, you know, be a part of some of those things. Maybe they can be a part of, you know, what we talked about, the solution of, of coming alongside and helping. Yeah. So that's phenomenal. Man, I hope these things do. This conversation does what it's already done for me today. It's just been such an encouraging conversation to hear about one the state of fly fishing in alabama i knew it was growing but you know just to hear all these people coming together uh working together um, mm-hmm. that are friends and not in competition but have this kind of goal in mind that's so exciting um as somebody that's been fly fishing for for a pretty good while i started in college on the chickasabug behind the university of mobile when i was a student there and I thought it would be yeah. really cool to learn how to fly fish. You know, no, I knew no one that did it. And I, all I did was I had some VHS tapes that, you know, that somebody had, had given me and that I figured out how to, I figured out how to do it by feeling by those videos. And everybody was like, what you do, what, you know? Um, <laughs> and so 
to see, you know, what it's become now is just so encouraging because it is a sport that I do. I know Brian and I both dearly love, and there's a artfulness to it. There's a thoughtfulness to it, um, and it does provide us uh, a lot of opportunity to what you said earlier, and that's take time to reflect on life. How do I be a better dad? How do yeah. I? Um, how do I? How how can I be a better husband? How can uh, I appreciate what God has given us in this moment? So, it has definitely been a canvas for that. So I'm a, that's one of the many reasons that I love fly fishing. So thank you for sharing all those things and uh, sharing your yeah, story with you us, go. man. I really appreciate it. Like we we always say, and I just said, I'm so encouraged. I hope uh, this story encourages everybody. I hope people go and follow you, Matt, on Red Eye Bass uh, Fishing in Alabama on your Instagram and support these efforts. And uh, this conversation has been rich and good and uh, may hope it challenges somebody. Maybe that's not a fly fisherman to go learn how to fly fish. And maybe for those that, uh, that are fly fishermen to get, to get out there and find the time to get out there and uh, experience some adventure, go find some new species even and uh, write some stories down and share some adventures in what we love to call the storied outdoors. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take some time to leave us a review. Or better yet, share it with a friend. We hope these stories encourage you. Encourage you to write your own stories and share your own adventures in the storied outdoors. <laughs>